Thank you, Tom. Well, I want you to imagine with me this morning a family, a single-parent family from Cuba. Father, son, and daughter. Got a family in Cuba. We're kind of poor. Father's working hard to provide for his kids. And he's got to move around a lot. And this, this happens quite a bit, right, in poor country. So they move the, the father and the children move to Florida where the father finds work. And then they have to move to New York where the father continues to look for work. And then they move to northern Massachusetts. And the children really have never experienced a day of winter in all their lives, right? Their stay in New York was brief during the summer, and they moved to Massachusetts. And by the way, this is inspired by a gentleman that I knew when I worked in a restaurant. So, uh, so he moves his kids to northern Massachusetts, and a cold December evening uh, blows in, and uh, it starts to snow. And the kids have seen snow in cartoons and television shows. The dad has seen snow before because he's traveled. But the kids have no idea what snow feels like, right? They might have an idea of what it looks like, and they watch Frosty the Snowman, but snow has an actual feel, doesn't it, and a taste and a sound or lack thereof. You ever notice when it snows? really snowing and you go outside or there's a lot of snow on the ground and how quiet it is. I love that. So the snow starts to fall and the father puts the kids to bed and he starts to make his plans because he knows they have no idea how much fun a day in the snow can be. So he scurries up whatever he can, you know, winter gear to, to uh, get them warm. And the next day they wake up early and they go sledding and they make angel, snow angels and then he builds them an eight-foot snowman, right? And the kids are so happy. And the father finishes the snowman, and he proclaims, I am the snowman king! And the kids take up the chant, Dad's the king! Dad's the king! Dad made us an eight-foot snowman. This is amazing. See, the kids had no category in their brain. Coming from Cuba, right? The glory of the snowfall. And here they are looking at their dad with starry brown eyes, thinking, wow, what else do you have in store for us? Dad, what can you possibly do? What else can you possibly do? And I want to mention that this idea of looking at a father in such a way where we trust him and we know him to lead us into new and beautiful experiences so far beyond anything we've previously thought of, this is what it's like to follow God into gospel work, right? Because we think of God in a certain way. We learn about him in a certain way, and it's necessary, right? We need the doctrine. We need the theology. We need to come to church and kind of have a rhythm, right? But it's very easy. It's very easy for that to remain sort of a compartment. And like the Christmas decorations, which uh, we've still, we're working on getting all in the box, but they're mostly put away. They go into a box with a label on them, and they go on the shelf, right? It's very easy for us to think of God and gospel work and what it is to be a Christian and follow Christ and go to church in such a way that it's 
compartmentalized. It's in the box, right? And I dare say that God breaks the box. And this idea of God and gospel work being so far beyond a previously thought of category that has the possibility to lead us into new and beautiful and hard and difficult at times, but wonderfully glorious adventures we never even thought were possible. That's what God does with gospel work, and that's what we read uh, in the book of Acts. So if you please uh, turn to Acts chapter 9. We'll start in um, verse 1. Everybody there? I'm still getting there. Okay. Acts 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is the church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, so that they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem, of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. 
This is the word of God. We do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from his mouth. Praise God for his word. Let's pray. Dear Father, glorify your son today. May the words of our hearts and the meditations of our minds be pleasing to you, Father. I pray you illuminate your word to your people this morning. Let us trust the Holy Spirit inside of us and to apply this word to our lives. Give us the vision and the courage to do our part, God, to see you as you are, high and lifted up, full of grace and truth, power and love for us. Thank you for this opportunity to share with your people, God. To you alone be honor, fame, and glory. Amen. So, remember, we're in the book of Acts. We're in a sermon series called, What's the Point Where the Gospel and Culture Intersect? And remember the book of Acts comes right after the Gospels, right? Where the Gospels we read, Jesus comes to earth, he does his ministry, he calls his disciples, he's arrested, crucified, buried, he rises again, he appears to his disciples, and he tells them, go, go into all the world and preach the good news of the kingdom, right? Baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to teach them, to teach them the way of Christ, right? And here we see in the book of Acts, this is the continuation of that story. Acts is also a story about the Holy Spirit. It's often said that it's the Acts of the Apostles that we're reading. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that just means, you know, that the promise of Jesus when he left the earth was that he would send his Spirit to be with the church. It's really that simple. God sent Jesus, right? God sent Jesus. Jesus comes. And when Jesus left, he said, I will send you the comforter, John 14, John 16. I will send you the Holy Spirit. Even the end of Luke, right? So Luke wrote the book of Acts as well. You could pull those two together and do a little word search. There's Bible software now that you could do this in a matter of seconds. You could see how much the Holy Spirit comes up. The Holy Spirit is the gasoline that drives the engine of Acts, that drives the church. And it's really, their hearts are aflame, not for the Holy Spirit in its own sake. The Holy Spirit has no other motive other than to glorify and confirm the love of Christ in our hearts. This is the gasoline. And I'm suggesting that what God does in Acts shows us that he breaks the box. God breaks the box. Okay, so in calling disciples to himself, he breaks the box, right? And if you think about it, anybody who comes to Christ, think about your life, your testimony. Think about what God had to do to get you where you are, right? God definitely breaks the box. He breaks the box. That is to say he breaks the paradigm. He shatters the assumptions, right? He changes the game. Because this is God we're talking about. It can't be contained in a box. And any box that we think about is purely a work of the imagination. He's God. He's God. Okay, so in choosing his servants, God breaks the box. And we see that surely with Saul. So if you look in verse 1, actually, well, I'm going to take you back one chapter to chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read about this rascal Saul. Right? Saul approved of Stephen's execution. Stephen was a 
deacon, deacon with the church, we read in chapter 7, and he was martyred, the first martyr after Christ. And Paul approved of it, or Saul, Saul approved of it. So, and Saul was ravaging the church. The Greek here for ravaging is the same word you would say a, like a lion devours a gazelle. I don't know why in our house we have this strange, morbid curiosity. We love videos of crocodiles tearing apart wildebeest. That is just so fun to watch these poor little wildebeest try to cross the river, you know, the only little river in the drought, and it's like high time for the crocodiles, and they get to rip, it apart, rip them apart and roll them around, and legs are flying, and they're biting their faces. I mean, it's brutal, but my kids love it, and for some reason we just let them, <laughs> we let them like, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about that. But anyway, so Saul was ravaging the church in this way. <laughs> um, he's ravaging the church as a beast devours an animal. He's entering the houses and he's dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So let's pick it up at uh, 9 verse 3 then. So Paul is on his way to Damascus to do his dirty deed. He's got his marching orders. He's got his approval from the synagogue. He's going to go to Damascus, start cleaning house with the church. And suddenly a, a light flashes around him and falling to the ground, he hears a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing that? And this is interesting. When Christ says me, he's talking about the church. This is how Jesus views the church. You hurt the church, right? It hurts the heart of Christ. Jesus says, these are my peeps, right? These are my people. What you do to them, you're doing to me. Why are you doing that? And Paul says, Saul, I'm going to get that mixed up a lot, so just bear with me, because he becomes Paul later, right? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. See, when God calls followers to himself, he breaks the box. He breaks the box. When I was a 14-year-old kid, I was in a Christian home. My parents uh, were both followers of Christ. And I didn't know much about what that meant for myself. I didn't know how to follow Christ. I didn't know what that meant. I really enjoyed Christmas. And I really enjoyed the presents. That was great. And uh, maybe I'd go to Easter with my dad, uh, Easter service uh, with my dad sometimes, and, and um, you know, maybe say a prayer before a meal, but really I had little clue on what it meant to follow Christ. And so one day, I decided to go on a little uh, scavenging mission into my sister's bedroom. She's got a desk there. And um, there are two kinds of candy eaters, you know? There's me, who if it's in my sight, it's, it's gone. It's, I mean, it's, I'm going to eat it until it's gone, right? And then there's the other, like my wife and my son Chase, who are like, I'm going to pack this away. You know, like I'm going to have a little stash. So I always, you know, just eat one, and then I always have like an option later. Well, that was my sister. So her desk was a pretty sure bet for stray bits of candy, a little bit of money, maybe some juicy little love note. You never knew what you were going to find. And uh, so I go in there, and I open the drawer. You know what's staring at me? A Gideon's New Testament. And for some reason, on that day, I opened the box. This analogy is going to get old and probably get convoluted. But anyway, it's working for now. So I open it up. I take out the New Testament and I start to read. I had no clue, no plan that I would come across that New Testament. And I started reading. And I had this powerful sense at that time, 14 years old, this powerful sense of God is just too important to be ignored. 
this is, this is just too important. I don't know what it is. I don't quite understand it, but doggone it. For some reason, I feel like I, I want to be a Christian man. My dad's a Christian man. He, he's, he's strong, and I want to be like him, and I want to follow God for myself. That was a very powerful moment. You see, God, I think God was calling me there, and we break the box, right? I had no clue what was going to happen. Sadly, a couple months later, I put the Bible away in the drawer again and uh, didn't connect with the church, didn't follow God, to, didn't trust Him. And uh, so I went through my high school years pretty miserable, very miserable. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was just frustrated, angry, mad at the world, drinking, stealing, lying. It's just miserable. As I identify with, with uh, Jesus saying to Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I had that sense, finally, at the end of my senior year, why am I doing this? And I told a number of lies that were just so overshadowing my life. And I knew, here it says uh, to Paul, or to Saul, Jesus says, you will be told what to do. I, there are times we just know what to do. Isn't there? There's times we know what to do. Sometimes we don't know. And that's fair. But here it says, Saul is told what to do. And I knew what to do. I need to say I was sorry. I need to say that I lied. I need to go to my parents. I need to go to this person and that person and say, you know what, I owe you money. I'm sorry I lied about it. I needed to do that. But it was just a matter of courage. It was a matter of trusting God was big enough. His love for me was strong enough that his spirit would empower me to do that. I just made the decision. Right? But finally... Praise the Lord, hallelujah. By the end of my senior year, I met a couple of Christians. I hardly knew them. They called me on the phone one day. said, hey, we're going to church. You want to come? I said, no. Hung up the phone. Back in the box. Can't. No. no. Then, five minutes later, I'm looking at that Bible. I said, what if I just went? What, what if I just went? And I went. And the sermon that I heard that Sunday really changed my life. Or God should say, God changed my life in that moment. I did have a sense of, God, you're just too important to be ignored. God, you're just, you just filled out the picture, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to start with one decision. I'm sorry. Dad, I lied. I'm sorry. And that was the start of my, my journey, really, uh, to where I am now. I was, I've been in church ever since that moment. But i just saying that when God calls people to himself, he breaks the box, right? And then I believe that each of us have that testimony. We should. A follower of Christ ought to have that testimony, right? Of God breaking the box, of God somehow reaching through your sin, your misery, your trouble, your hardship. We ought to have that testimony. Shouldn't it be just once? I think it has to, has to be at least once, right? But it should be this ongoing, right? We call it sanctification. God shows you new stuff. God turns over your rocks. You're like, I know what I need to do here. Lord, help me power me, right? So God breaks the box in calling people to himself. He also breaks the box in telling believers what to do, okay? So look in verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10. So there's this disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So Paul gets a lot of fame for chapter 9, but the disciple in the situation is really Ananias. So God said to him in a vision, Ananias, he says, here I am. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, for a man named Tarsus, for a man of Tarsus named Saul, 
So behold, he's praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, you're breaking my box. Lord, do you get the fact that this guy approves of and has a hand in persecuting and hurting my brothers, my sisters in Christ? You can't do that. You can't do that, God. Right? See, God's breaking the box, what he's asking Ananias to do. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he has to suffer for my sake. So here we see Ananias, the call of Ananias to do something for God breaks the box, and we have a veritable script of the Apostle Paul's life and what it will be. How ironic. Do you get it? Do you see the irony? I think God likes irony sometimes. Whoa, mistake. So, um, goes in the stand, Tom. Um, so, uh, not to mention any names. And he would say, stay in the pulpit, Nathan. Um, so, uh, okay, here we are. So, the Apostle Paul, how ironic. This one who would bring these threats and persecute the church. How ironic. This one who's making Christians suffer will be one who will suffer for the name of Christ. Right? And this probably doesn't sound like the Cubans in the snow. How fun is it to suffer? But it's kind of funny. You read Paul about the glory and the honor of being appointed to suffer for Christ's sake. There is something about utter dependence on God when he breaks our box. There's something glorious about that. And God sustains us through that. God sustains us through that. So we see that in what God asks his followers to do, he breaks the box. How about you? Is there a conversation we need to have? We need to pick up the phone? Get a relationship back on track? Maybe that jerk at work? Start praying for him? Find a way to make a move for the gospel of Christ? Turn off television? Pick up the Bible? Sometimes it's ambiguous. We don't know what to do. And I have permission from my wife to share this. Always dangerous sharing marriage things from the pulpit. So pre-approval required, okay? Um, so uh, Karen's in a spot in her life where she's not sure what to do. She just doesn't know. There's a lot of things she could do, a lot of things she's very talented at, a lot of interests, a lot of background. She's just at a season where she doesn't know what to do. So she's got to wait. She's got to wait. So we need to pray that God helps us wait. But there are times where it's not ambiguous. There are times it's a matter of courage. You know, for three years, I knew what I needed to do. Dad, I lied. And I don't know how I'm going to fix it. But I want to do the right thing. That God breaking through to me was so critical in my life. And by the power of the Spirit, because it can only be by the Spirit, you understand? We're not worthy. 
It's only by the power of the Spirit. First uh, uh, Corinthians. It's only by the Spirit that we can say Jesus is Lord. Right? The Holy Spirit isn't an impersonal force. It's not a it. It's a him. Christ says he will come to give you comfort. He's going to do nothing of his own accord except to glorify me. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit to be with the church, to help us. It's only by the Holy Spirit we can say Jesus is Lord. When we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit breathed that scripture into existence. Second Timothy. Second Peter. The Holy Spirit carried along the writers as they were writing. Right? If you can understand anything from the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit. He's there. He's working in your life. But the great thing about God is there's more. There's more. So is it possible to do what God puts in our hearts? That's what I'm talking about here. Is that even possible? How is it possible? Well, let's see a couple examples. In verse 17, we have Saul and Ananias, sinners just like you and me. Here's Ananias. He departed and entered the house, laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you by the road on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important when we, that at conversion, we receive that. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Right? This is, this is the end of Ananias in, in, in all of Scripture. This isn't the Ananias who struck dead in uh, Acts. This is, an, this is another Ananias of Damascus. This is all we know about him. He was an apostle, or he was a, a follower of Christ in Damascus. So it's important to know the gospel work, the Holy Spirit power, the fire power, the gasoline, that's not for the superstars. It's not for the pastors. It's not for uh, the apostles only. It's for these run-of-the-mill disciples that come out of the woodwork in Acts. So Ananias is one of them. Stephen is another one. There'll be others, men, women, just full of the Holy Spirit. God I'm going to do what you say. And we see that Ananias obeys, doesn't he? Puts up a fight. You know, God's fair. God seems to tolerate that to a point. But then he does his work. And he does it well. Right? I could just sort of see the picture here. Here's Saul. He hadn't eaten or drank for three days, probably weeks. He's in this probably dank little building. And he's waiting and he can't see. I'd be terrified. God didn't tell him he'd have to wait how long he'd have to wait. He didn't tell him. He just said, go in there. Someone will come. Right? Kind of reminds me of David, actually. You know, when David was anointed king, um, a number of years, maybe, you know, as much as 20, he had to wait before he was actually king. He still had to duck spears, hide in caves. He had to wait. He had to wait for his time. One old preacher told me one time, he said, I'm going to tell you something, boy. God is slow. (laughs) All right. That's what you need to know. Okay. <laughs> He's slow. And I, I can affirm, I've waited a long time. Waited a long time for my marriage. Worth waiting for. Score. And uh, waited for this job. Definitely worth waiting for. Score. But yeah, we need to wait. And so Paul had to wait. And so Ananias does his work, and he does it well. And can you see the picture? He, he puts his hands on him. And what does he say to him? What does he call him? Brother. How ironic. God breaks the box. How ironic what God asked him to do. You go to him. You put your hands on him. You pray for him. 
This guy has been hurting your brothers and sisters. He's your brother. God breaks the box, right? He breaks the box in asking his disciples what to do. So that's Ananias. Way to go, Ananias. You get an A. Okay, verse 20, or verse 19. And so Saul, he takes some food. He was strengthened. And for some days, he's with the disciples at Damascus. I'd like to know the subject of those conversations. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God, right? Receives the Holy Spirit. He's got to do something. He's full. You see this a lot in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. Even, uh, um, even um, gosh, what's his name? Uh, not Samuel. Before, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Don't want to do this from the pulpit. Before David was Saul. That's why it's messing with my mind, because there's two Sauls. Even Saul gets full of the Holy Spirit one time, and he just has to do something. He starts to prophecy. He just has to, he just got to do something right? That's when God comes upon us and fills our heart and bubbles over. And this is what Paul's, or Saul's doing here. He is, uh, he starts to proclaim that Christ is the Son of God, and all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the man? How unlikely. God breaks the box. How unlikely. He came here to kill us, right? He came here to drag us before the chief priest. Verse 22, but look, Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus, and proving that Jesus was the Christ. I'm full of God's forgiveness. I'm full of God's goodness. Look what he did for Saul. Christ could have let him die and go to hell. What grace. What grace. Saul deserved to die. He deserved to die for what he was doing. Right? Any, any old sin against God is just a horrible horrible aberration from his wonderful holiness and look at your life and in my life i i know i'm capable of just about anything at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong kinds of people i can do just about anything i'm convinced of that how is it that god breaks in and saves us and gives us grace and mercy that's what he did for saul and apparent and, and ananias and they obeyed right so the firepower the firepower comes from the presence of Christ, the confirmation of God's love in us, that the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit so dominate our narrative, so just fill out the picture of our lives. This is just too big to ignore. There's always more with God. God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I, I, I don't know. Teach me. Show me what to do. Sometimes we don't know, so we wait. Sometimes we do know, right? So where, how is it that disciples break the box. See, God breaks the box, calling disciples to himself. What he asked them to do, he breaks the box. Here we see in Acts, the disciples break the box because Jesus does it first. He did it first. Jesus did it first. Right? If you look in Acts 1, verse 8, he tells them, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will witness for me in Judea in Samaria, in Jerusalem, all the earth, that's the gasoline, right? Be wary of preaching or teaching. I, I'm, I have a radar of like, pull your bootstraps, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, preaching. And I don't want that to be this kind of message, right? Just do it. It's like, look, that's the problem. There's this workout tape I saw. This is an infomercial, bad idea. But uh, it's like, you will get 
two years of results in three months. It's like, okay, whoa, okay, great. No pills, no nothing, right? Just two, two years, three years of results in three months. Okay, how do you do it? These workouts are specially designed. Not even the top core marine class can do these workouts, right? You're going to work out harder and faster and longer than you ever have before in your life. I'm like, turn it off. I'm like, really? Like, like people are going to buy this? The problem is I can't get myself to the gym and, like, you know, throw a ball against the wall. I mean, I can't even, you know, I don't want to do that. That's the problem. You see, there's no firepower. The just do it message has no firepower. We can't do it, right? The firepower comes with hearts aflame. With hands empowered and trained in the school of following God and knowing, knowing that we overcome because He overcame. We overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He sang that song. That's how we overcome. That's the backbone. That's the backbone. That's the fire. Only comes by experience. The various rascals and vagabonds we read about in the Bible, there's murderers and prostitutes, right? Violent men, kind of shady women. We read about all kinds of people that God calls, breaks the box, tells them what to do, right? All different kinds, and I'm in that list. I've done some dirty deeds in my life, okay? But the the thing they all have in common is God broke the box and called them, and they followed. They, they followed, right? Their picture of God was, God, this is too important. You, you're the one I've been looking for. I've been looking for it in drugs. I've been looking for it in women. I've been looking for it in pornography. I've been looking for it here, there, the other place. What I'm really looking for is you, and I'm sorry. That's a powerful prayer. That's a powerful prayer. So, back to the Cubans in the snow. It's not always going to be snowmen. And, you know, any parent with children who's actually given their child a snow day knows the glory of the first 10 minutes. And then the sort of like the three-hour cleanup, the cold hands and everything afterwards. Okay, so it's work. I don't mean to paint a too rosy of a picture. But I do suggest that as followers of Christ, there are these wonderful experiences for those that follow him and say, God, I'm, I see the box for what it is, right? You are just too big and too important. Yes, maybe it's one step. Maybe it's a little one. Can't, you know. Okay, C.S. Lewis has this quote. What God has for us, what we don't realize is we're sitting here on the beach. Maybe not even on the beach. We're playing with mud pies. Yeah, I get, you get it all straight. We're playing with mud pies, and God promises us a day at the sea. Have you ever seen a little kid at the sea? Has anybody ever taken their little kid to the ocean? When I lived in Massachusetts, my son Chase, for the first, uh, I don't know, we moved when he was four, we had many days at the sea. And to see him, I've got it on video, to see the interplay of sunshine and water, and he's just running, 
he runs in, the waves comes, and he, he boogies out of there, you know, but he's just running in ankle-deep water. Now, I'm his father. I'm not going to go chuck him into a, you know, a nine-foot a nine breaker. That's not happening. That's not God, right? But God promises us a day at the sea, right? And the glory of seeing my son for the first time when he saw that ocean, when he just ran, that was, that was awesome. I mean, that was priceless. So we play in mud pie sometimes, and we forget that God has a day at the sea for us, right? So, one last uh, quote about dependence on God. Francis Schaeffer pastored a church about five miles from here, uh, just up the road, Ballast Road, Covenant Presbyterian, used to pastor that church. He's also quite famous theologian. He started Labrie Academy in um, Switzerland. He said this, may I put it like this? If I woke up tomorrow morning and found that all the Bible teachings concerning prayer and the Holy Spirit were renewed, what difference would it make in practice from, from the way we are functioning today? The simple tragic fact is that in much of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the evangelical church, there would be absolutely no difference whatsoever. We function as though the supernatural were not there. We function with God in a box. So I challenge you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, to grab a hold of God's love, to reflect on that, to dwell in it, to appreciate that, and consider what it means for you. Consider the great lengths God has gone to put you where you are right now. And consider the fact that he's God. He's a father that has more in store for us than we could ever imagine. And it's the wonderful adventure of following him. The wonderful adventure of following him, empowered by his spirit, that makes the Christian life just a hoot, I think way better than not, than not with Christ, right? Anyway, so that's my sermon this morning. I hope you'll pray with me, and I hope you're appropriately, uh, um, appropriately challenged but also affirmed in the power of what God has already done in your life and what he might do should you let him have his way. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to serve you. What a, what a wonderful privilege to be in here where it's nice and warm and we can gather as a family and talk about, think about, consider what your word says. Lord, we're not apostles, we're not anything fancy, but we do follow you, we do love you, and we believe that you can change a life, you can direct a life, and there's always more with you, there's always more. Glory, hallelujah. Thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen.